So everything starts with bread, many different types of bread, crackers, fancy breads, plain breads, all kinds of different breads. Every meal comes with rice or potatoes and then the desserts. You are never, it seems like, more than two steps away from various kinds of cookies, cakes, pies, pastries at every single eating opportunity. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Well, I hope you are having a great week this week. And before I get too far into telling you about my week, I would like to ask you a favor. Would you please share this podcast with someone who you know, somebody you care about, and you think they might get some value out of it? I certainly would appreciate that if you share this with someone else. So for my weekend review, well, it's been a busy week, a week of travel, and we started off the week up in Hilton Head Island Disney Resort, and we finished up our time there. We had spent a week there with family, and then we went down from Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, down to Port Canaveral in Florida, and we hopped aboard Royal Caribbean's Independence of the Seas. Now, this is about a moderately sized ship, not their biggest class by any means, but not the smaller ones we're used to sailing out of Baltimore. So it was nice. It had a lot of good activities on it. it had ice skating rink, so ice skating show, theater show. They had a Broadway production of Grease, the musical, and that was really good. They also had some other production shows, and we just had a really good time. It was only four days. Now, we did have the pleasure of traveling on the same ship as our own travel agent. She's with MEI, MEI Travel, and her name is Sharla, and she's a most outstanding travel agent. Anyway, after we got off the Royal Caribbean's cruise ship a couple days ago, we drove further south, only a couple hours further south, and now we are at Disney's Vero Beach Resort. We'll be here for a week, and this trip is just my wife and I on this leg. The family members who joined us in Hilton Head did not continue on, so we'll be here for another five days or so and wrap that up. So it's been a really good week, busy week, a lot of different locations, a lot of different sceneries, and we really have been enjoying it so far. My numbers this week are looking good. I closed my rings five out of seven days, and those are the rings on my Apple Watch. I use Apple Fitness and to track things like my standing hours, my calories burned through movement, and also my minutes of exercise. And that's where your heart rate gets elevated high enough to for where they count it as exercise. So closing those five out of seven days is good. My seven-day 
Average glucose, 24-7 reading off the CGM, the Libre Freestyle 3, has been 101. 101 as my 24-7 average, which is great. You may remember that anything above an average of 150 is the range for type 2 diabetes. Anything with an average above 125 is the range for pre-diabetes as a 24-7 average. So this is 101, which is great. Below the pre-diabetes range even. So that equates to a GMI of 5.7 for the week, which is fabulous. My body fat percentage, I really am not sure. It's been a couple of weeks now since I've stepped on a scale. But when I did pop on the scale two weeks ago, it was at 21.0%. My macros for this week, over the course of the week, I have averaged 72 grams of carbohydrates each day and 125 grams of protein each day. So those are both right on target. For my Manjaro update this week, I just now have finished five months using the medication Manjaro, terzepatide, and it's been working great. I'm currently still at the 7.5 milligram dose. I've completed now three months at the 7.5 milligram dose, and my next box, which I already have, is also 7.5 milligrams. I do see my doctor in three weeks. I have a feeling that if my blood work A1C matches this GMI reading that I've been getting, that I'll stay at the 7.5 milligram dose because it seems to be working out really well. Now, I do want to report something to you that I noticed, which is a positive change, and I can credit the Manjaro. I'm noticing a very tight control on my blood sugar. For example, this past week when we stopped at Royal Caribbean's private island, Coco Key, although they say it's perfect day at Coco K, the actual pronunciation is Coco Key. Regardless, one of the things that we look forward to when we go there, and I've been there, I'm gonna say seven or eight times now in the last two, three, four years, and one of the things we always get is the chicken sandwich and mozzarella cheese sticks at one of their snack shacks. Now think of a really good Popeyes or Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. It's breaded, it has a roll. It is fried chicken with a thick breaded crust. And the mozzarella sticks are breaded and fried as well. So as a meal, that doesn't quite fit my guidelines. And sure enough, when I had this, my blood sugar went up straight through the roof. The combination of the breading on everything, the they might even put sugar in the batter as far as I know, the thick roll that this was served on, it all contributed to just sending my blood sugar higher than it's been in, I'm going to say a couple of months. But Here's the thing I noticed. Within two hours, it was right back down to normal. Now that is not something that would have happened previously. It used to be the case that when I ate something that really wasn't the best for me, but it was something I wanted, and once in a while I will have that, even though I know it's not the best for me. What's different this time is the blood sugar went right back under control. So it was a very sharp spike up, and then an equivalent very sharp spike down. 
And I've got to attribute the Manjaro to that. The fact that my body is better able to manage insulin has become much more sensitive to insulin. And I think also the fact that I keep my blood sugar in tight control normally. So having this one-time blip really doesn't send my body for a loop. It does what normal healthy bodies do. It produces insulin and then it gets that blood sugar right back under control by storing away that excess blood sugar. So, you know, that was a, a really pleasant surprise. I knew that meal would send my blood sugar high because it has bread and breading and fried breading and then more breading on top of that. But I was pleasantly surprised when it came right back down. Now, I'm not going to push my limits. I'm not going to have that type of thing frequently. But when I do, it's nice to know that I'm responding well to it. So my challenge and win for the week. Well, I'm going to call it a challenge, but a little bit of a win. And it might seem like a strange challenge to you. I have been busy relaxing. So the fact that, you know, we're traveling now and we have traveled to, to three different locations in the course of a week, you know, first in Hilton Head and then packing up from there and then getting on the cruise ship, enjoying that, getting off the cruise ship, coming down to Vero, unpacking here. It's been a busy week, even though there's a four-day cruise in the middle of it. So I only got out five times when on a longer cruise, I find myself getting out almost every day to take an hour, hour and a half and do my dedicated walking. This week, a couple of days, it just caught up with me. Now, you could say, well, you were driving and you were changing modes of transportation and locations and hotels. Well, not hotels, villas, things like that. But still, I just want to you know, say that once in a while, you can get overtaken even if you don't have necessarily a job to go to or or critical things that you have to do, but you're just busy having a good time and relaxing. So that was my challenge for the week. Now I still did close my rings five times, so you know I'll call that a win. Let's look at the news. Let's see what's in the news this week. And I have some good articles here. And the first one is entitled this one swap might help those with type 2 diabetes increase longevity by 26%, a new study suggests. So what are we talking about here with regards to this one change? Well, it's swapping out sweetened soda, sugary soda, with things like unsweetened coffee, tea, water, or even diet soda. So it's talking about getting rid of those sugary beverages. And it says that, you know, the folks who made this one change, and they're talking about also things that are juice, fruity drinks, cocktails, sports drinks, all those sweetened beverages. By changing those to plain coffee, tea, or water, they can actually have a reduced risk of premature mortality from things like heart disease, etc. And, you know, the heart disease is a complication of type 2 diabetes as well as kidney disease. So just making this single change, getting rid of the sugary beverages, seems to, in and of itself, have a tremendous change 
on your overall mortality. So hey, you want to live longer? Switch to unsweetened tea. That's what this article is saying. All right, this next one, the title is, Study Finds This Diet Is Best For Those With Type 2 Diabetes. Now, of course I can't recommend, I don't even want to recommend a diet for you. And I take articles like this with a grain of salt. And this article does say that the Mediterranean diet is great for people with type 2 diabetes. Now, why is that? That's the question. Why is that? Well, the Mediterranean diet does not include any added sugar. It does not include any processed foods. If you look up the Mediterranean diet, and it's great. I mean, it includes fruits, vegetables, seafood, lean meats, whole grains, olive oil, olives, things like that. It does not list Coca-Cola. It does not list Twinkies. It does not list white bread, things like that. So they're saying when they compared it to other popular diets that 20% of the participants had a 62% lower risk of new onset type 2 diabetes for those people who lived and followed this way of eating. So, is there something magical about the Mediterranean diet? I don't know. I, I really don't think so, though. That's my personal opinion. I think it's simply the fact that it, it does not include any processed foods. I mean, it's cooking your foods. It's, you know, eating eggs, chicken, dairy, things like that. And it does not include, you know, processed foods, bread. Well, you know, whole grain, homemade bread is fine. But factory-made white bread or factory-made any bread, to tell you the truth, is just not going to be great for you because it's that flour, that processed high-glucose you know, corn syrup, all that stuff they put in breads nowadays. In fact, now this is an aside, but I read that in Ireland, Subway, the sandwich chain, can't claim that what they serve their sandwich on is bread because it contains too much sugar. Now that's just in Ireland. Here in the U.S. they, they call it bread, but I don't know what they have to call it over there. Cake maybe or something? I don't know. Okay, the third article. Now, this was interesting. Potency drug reduces long-term blood sugar in type 2 diabetes. Now, potency drug. I didn't know what that was until I started reading this article. It is a drug that is given for people with erectile dysfunction. So, you know, you know what that is, right? Men, older men, I guess, you know what that is? Anyway, Tadalafil. That's the name of the medication, Tadalafil. It's, I guess its labeled name is Viagra. Anyway, they took Viagra and they found that the overall blood sugar ended up being lower, long-term blood sugar. Now, this was just a very small study, a pilot study, but it was statistically different in this group that had the Tadalafil versus the group that had the placebo. So, they don't know exactly why yet. They called this a pilot study, but I don't know that they're going to prescribe this to everyone. But it was interesting. A little side effect 
of that particular medication. The last article here is entitled, How I Reversed My Type 2 Diabetes Through Lifestyle Changes and What I Wish I'd Known Earlier. Now this is a nice article to read. It is written by a woman who had type 2 diabetes. She was diagnosed at age 60 and she was able to get her blood sugar levels down below the type 2 diabetes level with lifestyle changes. She did not require medication. She simply reduced her overall caloric intake, got rid of all junk food, she says, got rid of all processed food and any refined sugars. She just ate whole foods, real foods, things that you could grow or raise on a farm. And that was enough, that with exercise, both strength exercise and also, it looks like here, walking. She did all of that and was able to get rid of her type 2 diabetes without medication, which is great. I would always say that's the way to start. Now, for me, I, you know, mine was progressed enough to where I can't do it without the medication. I do eat whole foods. I do watch my carbohydrate intake. I have almost no added sugar, and I do get out for my long walks every day. Well, five out of seven days, let's say. And I still need the medication. But for some folks, especially if they're newly diagnosed, if they nip it in the bud, so to speak, it is much more straightforward to get the blood sugar down below the type 2 level. So that's an average of 150 per day or less, or a A1C of 6.4 or less. If you can get it down to those levels when you catch it early, some folks do that right through lifestyle changes. So that was the news for this week. I thought those were four interesting articles. Now, right in your podcast player, I've placed links to each of these articles. You can check that out. If your podcast player does not show those as links, you can go over to the website solvingtype2diabetes.com and you can see the show notes, including those news article links right there. Let's talk about today's main topic, and that is five tips for cruising with type 2 diabetes. Now, I have talked about cruising before. I wanted to summarize my thoughts into these five tips and talk about it this week because I have been right back on a cruise ship this week and I will be back on next month as well but this past week I was on for four nights so here's five things that I summarized during my most recent trip that I think might give you a hand if you're cruising and if you have type 2 diabetes. The first one, on the cruise ship Get to know your eating venue options. Now, sometimes if your cruise line has an app like Royal Caribbean does, you can check out the different dining options before you even get on the cruise ship. You can go to the cruise line's website. You can do YouTube, look for reviews, things like that about your ship that you're going on. And each ship is a little different. Each ship has a different number of venue for eating or they have different cuisines, things like that, but get to know all your options because some of those options might be better than others. For example, when I was on Perfect Day at Coco 
K Island last week, you know, I said I had that fried chicken sandwich with the fried mozzarella cheese sticks. And it's because I wanted to have it. Now, I knew there were other places to eat, but that was my one splurge, if you will, for the week. That whole week, I didn't have any desserts or anything else like that. That was my one splurge. So get to know all your different eating venue options so that you can pick ones that are going to work best for you. Ask for alterations. That's my second tip. Ask for alterations. And when you're sitting in a restaurant on board the cruise ship, I've never found a time where the crew did not want to help me get exactly what I want. Now, sometimes I'll ask them to double the vegetables and not add the potatoes. Sometimes I'll ask them to put some extra beef tenderloin on there. I really love Royal's beef tenderloin. It's great. Or I'll ask for two shrimp cocktails. Things that'll keep me from wanting to eat the bread, the bread basket, things like that. When you're at a dining room, you can be very creative, I think, in tailoring the meals to get exactly what you want. Now, you can also do that at the buffet. You don't even have to ask for alterations. You can make your own dinner at a buffet. So you can pick and choose those things that are going to be very, very helpful for you. One of the things I have noticed, and this is across multiple cruise lines, multiple ships, is that they really push the carbs. Let's face it, the carbs are cheap. The carbs are filling, at least in the moment when you're eating them. So everything starts with bread, many different types of bread, crackers, fancy breads, plain breads, all kinds of different breads. Every meal comes with rice or potatoes or rice and potatoes or some other type of carbohydrate in the meal itself and then the desserts. You are never, it seems like, more than two steps away from various kinds of cookies, cakes, pies, pastries. At every single eating opportunity, they really push those. And I think it's because, you know, folks are on vacation, maybe they don't do this a lot, so maybe the whole four days is a splurge for them. But if you're like me and you travel quite frequently, you cannot afford to just simply overindulge at every instance. It would be constant overindulging. So watch out for all those extra carbs that they offered every meal and ask for alterations. The third is to explore the ports with active cruise excursions. Now, oftentimes these trips have two, three, four ports. It depends on how long of a cruise it is. And each port can offer different things for you to explore. Now, you can either get off like I do and just walk around in the town. I like to do that a lot. Or sometimes I'll go do an actual organized excursion. But they have biking excursions. They have walking excursions. They have all kinds. They have snorkeling, scuba diving, all types of ways to be active in these various ports. So check that out. The fourth one is to explore the gym. Now, every cruise ship I've ever been on has a gym. Some are much bigger and elaborate. Some are a little smaller, not quite as elaborate. But they all offer classes. They all offer pieces of equipment, whether they be, you know, TRX suspension trainers or spin bikes or weight machines or free weights. They all offer all this different stuff and they often offer classes with these. And they also offer personal training. Maybe you want to take a class. Maybe you want to get a little bit of personal training on something that you've never tried to use before. 
regardless. Do the yoga, do the cycling, weights, all that kind of stuff. Explore the gym on the ship. You paid for it, you might as well use it. The final tip, number five, bring some backup options. Now, what are backup options? Well, backup options can be for movement. Maybe you want to bring a resistance band, do something in your cabin. Maybe you want to make sure you have your hiking shoes if you're going to go explore a port. Maybe you want to make sure you bring your walking shoes if you're like me and you get out for a long walk. Also, bring some backup food options. Lately, the last six months to a year, I've always been traveling with either protein bars or protein shakes, something like that as a backup. You know, it could be I'm in the cabin, I don't feel like going out for a full meal because, you know, now with this Manjaro, I don't eat a whole lot. So maybe I just want a little something so I can have a shake. Or maybe I can have a protein bar. Maybe I'm going up to the, I like to go to the Diamond Lounge on the Royal Ships in the morning for coffee, get my espresso. And maybe I just want a protein bar mid-morning after that before lunch. So bring some backup options to make sure you have what you need whether it's getting in enough protein or whatever fits your plan, you bring it with you, you know you have it. So those are the five tips that I have for cruising with type 2 diabetes. You know, know your eating venues, ask for alterations, explore the ports, explore the gym, and bring some backup options. All right, let's look at your questions for this week. And we do have a question. Actually, we have a comment and three questions, all from Stephen. Stephen, again, is from Glendale, New York. So shout out to all the folks from Glendale that, that are there with Stephen. So let me read this to you. I'm going to first read his comment, and then I'm going to get in his questions. So here's his comment. Hi, Tom. It's Stephen again from Glendale, New York. I've been listening to several older podcasts and would just like to make a few comments on a past listener's question. It had to do with cycling. Joe is his name, and I don't remember his question exactly, but back in my younger years, I participated in numerous cycling club rides, 40 miles plus, etc. And I was never worried about what I ate. In fact, I used to eat a bagel, plain, no cream cheese, before each ride, and then during a ride I would eat a banana or energy bar, cliff, something like that. I noticed it never affected my blood glucose because I was constantly burning off the sugar during the ride, plus the carryover effects of the ride was that my sugar levels were kept in check the whole day, even the day after. Joe may or may not know, but Novo Nordisk, an insulin maker, sponsors a pro cycling team consisting of type 1 diabetics. Very inspirational. Well, thanks, Stephen, for that comment. Interesting to hear that. You know, I'm, I'm curious, the, the, you're riding, if you're riding 40 miles, you're burning probably at least 4,000 calories during a 40-mile ride, approximately. You know, it depends on different factors. But yeah, you're, you're certainly in a calorie deficit during the ride. And what you are burning is a good percentage of sugar, also some fat. So yeah, I could imagine that a bagel and a banana and a Cliff Bar would not even come close to replenishing the 4,000 calories you would burn during a 40-mile ride. So yeah, good. Very inspirational. Okay, now here are your questions from Stephen. I'll take these one at a time. Number one. You mentioned that you use heavy cream in your coffee. 
I use half and half with mine, and my sugar spike from a fasting, for instance, of 103 to over 200. I usually exercise for about 15 to 20 minutes, alternating between a resistance band, workout, or jump rope after my coffee, and I can't understand why it spikes so high since half and half has already any carbs or sugars. Does your glucose spike after your coffee? All right, that's question number one. So take the last part first. No, my glucose does not spike after my coffee. My glucose in the mornings, whether I have coffee or not, and nine times out of 10 I do, but even if I don't, my blood sugar acts the same. What I notice, and the only spike I get is from what's called the Dawn effect, D-A-W-N, and that is every morning your liver realizes you're gonna be more active than sleeping, and every morning your liver tries to prepare your body for that, and it pumps up more sugar into your system. And I notice that it happens every day. Again, it goes from maybe at four or five in the morning. If I look back, I see it was in the you know mid to low 90s, sometimes the high 80s. But sure enough, five, six o'clock in the morning, it starts going up. And I usually wake up around seven, and I notice that for the last hour or so, my blood sugar has been going up, and it continues to go up. Even if I don't have coffee or eat anything, it continues to go up until about 9 a.m., and then it starts to level off and go down. And this is called the Dawn Effect, and it happens to most people, whether they have diabetes or not, it happens to most people. The other thing that you mentioned here is that you exercise and jumping rope, things like that, that's fairly intense after your coffee. I have noticed that if I do more intense exercise, not walking, but something more intense, that, that also raises my blood sugar. Now it does go down about a half an hour after I stop, but like say CrossFit, if I would do CrossFit or if I would go running, something like that, my blood sugar would go up quite a bit. Is that what's causing your blood sugar to go up? You'd have to do a whole lot of experimentation. You'd have to do a few days you know, with no coffee and exercise. You'd have to do a few days with coffee and no exercise. You'd have to do, you know, maybe try that coffee mid-afternoon so you're not being influenced by the dawn effect. But no, I have never seen my sugar go from 100 to 200 because of the coffee. Let's face it, if you're only using, let's say, two or three tablespoons total of half and half, that's got about three grams of carbohydrate. Your coffee has at least three grams of carbohydrate. You know, even my Splenda, it's supposed to be zero-calorie sweetener, that also has carbohydrates, not for the Splenda itself, but it's for the other things they mix it with. So like when I have my coffee in the morning with heavy cream, which has zero carbs, and the coffee and the Splenda, I still record about eight grams of carbohydrates for that coffee. Now, eight grams of carbohydrates will not. I don't think for anyone, send your sugar from 100 to 200. There's something else going on there. Is it the dawn effect? Is it the dawn effect combined with that intense exercise? I don't know. Stephen, you'd have to do some experimenting on that one. Okay, number two. You also talk about how you like to keep your protein and carb parameters about 120 grams of protein and 80 grams a day of carbs. How do you measure your foods, especially if you make your own meals? Okay, let me answer that. I do measure my foods. I use my fitness pal, and if I'm having a meat or something like that, I'll stick it on the scale either before or after I cook it. 
if it's a packaged item like a protein bar or a shake, obviously that has the carbs written right on it. But yes, anything that I have to guess, for example, if I have carrots even, I'll say, look, is that, you know, I've been doing this long enough. I know if that's a half a cup, a cup, a cup and a half or two cups of carrots. And I'll record that. Now, is it exact? No. If I have peas, let's say I get out of the frozen bag of peas and carrots, I eyeball that. If I'm off by two or three grams of carbohydrates, either way, it's not going to make a big difference. Now, if I were eating ice cream or cake or something like that, I would measure that much more strictly because it's much easier to be way off on your calories and your carbs, things like that, with calorie-dense items. But, you know, when I'm eating meat and vegetables, things like that, or, you know, a slice of 647 bread or a low-carb wrap, you know, it's much harder to be off your carbs, especially things that you buy from a store that come in a package because those will have the labels. So, yes, I do measure. I weigh and measure everything at least once in a while to be able to eyeball it. Like last night, we had Mississippi pot roast again. Absolutely fabulous. I'm so glad we now bring our crock pot when we travel. And I recorded having five ounces of pot roast. Now, did I measure that? No. But it has zero carbs, so whether I'm off a few grams of protein or not doesn't really matter in the long run. So, that was that question. The third one. I've recently tried Healthy Choice Frozen Zero Bowls. My favorite so far is sesame chicken with zoodles. I don't know what a zoodle is. Anyway, I find these microwavable meals have no detrimental effects on my blood glucose readings. Great. I also have one of these bowls with a side salad if I'm extra hungry. They're expensive, but I got lucky and found them on my sale in my local shop and stop. Oh, stop and shop. I'm waiting for them to go on sale again. I know it's all about convenience and I'm willing to pay for it, provided it's on sale. Have you tried these or any other low-carb microwavable meals from the supermarket? Oh, well, Stephen, good, good information here. I think zoodles are a vegetable noodle, I think. Anyway, look up zoodles. Yeah, so, I, you know, I have from time to time, I have had a frozen meal. In fact, when was it? It was the first night here at Vero, so a couple days ago. And we did some grocery shopping because we like to eat, you know, make our own food. But we got into the room at 4 in the afternoon, and then I had to go shopping. And so it was 6 by the time we ate dinner, and we didn't want to really cook anything. So, yes, I got, I think what I got was a beef frozen meal. I think it was Atkins. And it had beef and spinach and things like that and it was it was good so yeah from time to time I have that had that I don't normally get them when it makes sense yeah I do so thanks very much Stephen for your questions oh here he adds thanks for your time and great podcast I got my wife hooked on it too and she's non-diabetic well great Stephen's wife hi shout out to you PS since you mentioned quest peanut butter cups on the checkout line we noticed quest cookies and have bought a few. Haven't tried them yet, but I will soon. Oh, Quest cookies. I don't think I've ever had one of those. Now, I noticed that Quest, which right now is my favorite line, even they have some stuff that I wouldn't buy. 
they have a whole wide assortment of bars and, like Stephen says here, cookies and the peanut butter cups and things like that. They have a lot of different things. Some have more carbs in them than I want, and some really don't have that much protein. So I would say check it out. Always read the label. But if you find something you like and it fits your plan, well, congratulations. Okay. You might remember that in the beginning of the episode, I asked you to please share this podcast. Well, if you're still listening, even if you're Stephen's wife and you're still listening, if you could share this with someone else that you think would get some benefit, I'm glad Stephen shared it with his wife. And I know I heard from another listener and she shared it with one of her co-workers whose parent was just diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. So I appreciate that. So if you could do the same, maybe just share it with one person this week who you think could get some value. I'd certainly appreciate that. So next week, we're going to talk about food next week. Specifically, I want to talk about some benefits that I've found with meal prepping. Meal prepping is cooking once or twice a week and preparing meals for the entire week. Popping them in the freezer, popping them in the fridge so that they're there when you need them. So let's talk about benefits of meal prepping next week. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. 